1: The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense.
0: Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of the War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. CBD, short for cannabidiol, is a chemical compound from the cannabid sativa plant, more commonly known as marijuana or hemp. It's a naturally occurring substance that can impart a feeling of relaxation and calm. Unlike its cousin, delta-9-tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, which is the major ingredient in marijuana, CBD is not psychoactive. That distinction is the source of a great deal of controversy, for as the legalization of medical marijuana progresses in one form or another, in 47 states so far, CBD has become ubiquitous in a variety of products, praised for its, not completely scientifically proven, use in fighting both anxiety and chronic pain. As a community that already invests heavily in both pain relievers and anti-anxiety medications, the military would appear to be an ideal market for CBD. So far, however, official DOD policy makes no distinction between CBD and THC, treating both as equally forbidden. Restrictions on CBD use, even on investing in legal CBD businesses, are the rule rather than the exception in the armed forces. Will it always be so? Should it? Our guest today to discuss the evolution, or lack thereof, in DOD policy towards CBD is Ms. Tina Cancel of the Army War College Class of 2020, who recently completed a strategy research project on the subject. Tina is a Department of Defense civilian with 15 years experience supporting the Navy. For 10 of those years, she has worked at the Naval Supply Systems Command, and her most recent position before attending the Army War College was as lead financial management analyst for the Navy Working Capital Fund portfolio. In this role, she acted as subject matter, expertise, and oversight on roughly $8 to $9 billion in annual contract authority. She holds an advanced degree in business administration and bachelor degrees in public policy and government and politics, all of which focus on international and U.S. health policy. Welcome to a Better Peace, Tina Cancel. Thank you, Ron. So, Tina, I got to start because I, when when I speak to current uh, War College students, I have to ask, how has your year at the War College been going?
1: So, Ron, I, I have to admit, this has been one of the best years of my career. Initially, I was concerned that as a five-foot-tall female Navy civilian, I might not <laughs> fit in, especially because I do finance, right. uh, but through active engagement, I've, I feel like I've been able to demonstrate my value and the value that the civilian workforce offers. Likewise, my colleagues have been extremely welcoming. They've actually welcomed me with open arms, so it's been a great year, and I know you can't see me in the studio, but uh, I'm wearing my seminar t-shirt and representation of my of my class this year.
0: And I suppose full disclosure would be that Tina happens to be a participant in Seminar 20, um, in which I am the Department of National Security and Strategy instructor. So it's great to have you on, a better piece, Tina, to talk about this. And it is interesting to think when you mentioned that you are a, uh, a a woman, a civilian from the Navy at the U.S. Army War College. So that in itself could be a very long podcast discussion about uh, you know how one manages those three. Uh, complexities. It says something about, about your your sense of adventure and also about the Army War College's um, a surprising variety of students, right, that somebody with uh, with that background is, is here. But I'm glad to hear that it's worked out well for you. One of the big parts of your work uh, at the War College is your strategy research project. And you chose to write about CBD policy. And so I'm curious, why?
1: So what interested me most about this topic was why DOD policy would deny the warfighter pain and anxiety relief that's available to the general public. Because Mm -hmm. when you step a few feet off from this space, you'll see the advertisements. You'll see the standalone distributors. It's in the grocery store. If you get a massage, so it's available, you know, everywhere, physically and online. And so, I was curious why why that would be the case.
0: Of the many things that you discovered, uh, was there any one thing that surprised you most about DoD policy towards CBD?
1: There, there is, and and I'm not sure if we want to dig right into policy or not. But what what surprised me as a civilian that I did not mm-hmm. know was that I, in fact, cannot. Or should not invest in CBD or marijuana <laughs> producers, so quite quite frankly, uh, I'm glad I know this, but DoD policy hasn't explicitly stated that you cannot do that. However, they have released statements saying that, if military members, civilians invest in these types of companies, it could threaten their security clearance. Mm -hmm. What that translates to is for service members and federal employees like myself who have a clearance. Uh, Essentially, if you don't have a clearance, you don't have a job. So uh, that really essentially forbids us from investing in DVD and marijuana. So I'm glad I found that, but I just think it's perplexing, quite
0: frankly. Indeed. Well, and uh, we we had an earlier uh, podcast, of course, on clearances and classification, but I am Curious. Or I'm sure most of the audience understands that. Uh, how often does someone who has a security clearance need to disclose their investments? you
1: know i think on an annual basis on an annual uh, I think, basis uh-huh. i think i think it depends though as well as the type of clearance and how often or uh, how often those requirements are but i know mm-hmm. that certain positions require annual disclosure of investments just right. from not only from a security clearance perspective but also as well from a uh, transparency and government mm-hmm. perspective right. so that there's no conflicts of interest
0: sure well and and so when we talk about dod policy I mean, one of the interesting things that uh, that occurs very quickly is we can set, we can talk about DOD policy, but is there a DOD policy or are there a series of policies that come from each of the services within the DOD?
1: So like all things in government and army war college, I'll have to say it depends. Uh, (laughs) There is, there is a current DOD policy and it's a blanket policy essentially that bans CBD use. And it Mm -hmm. does this by broadly citing safety and readiness concerns Uh, as well as lack of demonstrated efficacy and federal legality and in terms Mm -hmm. of readiness essentially what they mean is the ability for military units to perform their duties when called upon Uh, Mm -hmm. but, but but that's broad the department of defense then sort of delegates the enforcement and execution roles to the military services and that's where you find gaps and inconsistencies and, and mixed messages because each of the services have their own policy. Let me mm-hmm. give you a couple of examples. So sure. the Army policy on, on sort of military drug use is from 2016. So it's before some of the, the legislation that has come out that kind of loosens loosens the rules on CBD. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Air Force and the Navy uh, have more updated and comprehensive policies for the the warfighter and essentially what they do though is they open up the language instead of a blanket ban, they add in some language that allows for unintentional use So they say, uh, knowingly, right, knowingly usage, Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. may excuse accidental exposure. The Navy and the Marine Corps go a step further, and they actually allow the use of topical products. So the other services don't, but the Navy and the Marine Corps will allow you to use shampoos, conditioners, lotion, soaps, things of that nature with CBD extracts in it. Mm -hmm. The, The Coast Guard, though, for example, has one of the more draconian policies. So not only can service members not enter a CBD distributor, but uh, it's basically a blanket ban on legal and illegal CBD. But what I find interesting about their policy is in the next, so that's in one breath. In the next Mm -hmm. breath, though, they do allow Federal Drug Administration-approved drugs and food. So essentially food items like beer have Mm -hmm. products in it, are allowable, so I like the joke that the Coast Guard is allowed to have hemp beer. <laughs> not allowed. Not allowed to enter a distributor. And, and I do want to um, note that penalties, especially in the the Coast Guard, are quite severe uh, for for usage. So the the Coast Guard can be prosecuted under the Uniform Code of Military Justice for entering CBD distributors, and such penalties include right, two years confinement loss of pay and allowances reduction of rank down to e1 and even a dishonorable discharge so when you talk about cbd so that's just thousand-
0: for entering for entering a distributor like yeah. not just that okay yes hmm. well i i am curious right uh, cbd can can create a positive drug test is that am I, am I correct with that that this is part of the problem that if uh, in a standard uh, a standard drug test that the use of CBD would result in the same kind of positive as the use of THC would
1: That that is correct because CBD as a component it mm-hmm. should only contain to be legal and we can get into that in a minute but it should only mm-hmm. contain 0.3% of THC that substance that makes you high mm-hmm. but because there's a lot of products in the market that are that have varying degrees of THC in them uh, and that's a, what's one of the problems facing the Department of Defense and the FDA today, that it's potential that over time you could uh, pop a drug test, essentially, because the types of products you may be using could have higher THC than, than advertised. But mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to take a step back, actually, and, and kind of talk broadly about the legal environment in which sure. this is. Because okay, I think it'll add some good context. So, uh, I mean, currently cbd is a schedule on substance and because it's illegal at the federal level for that reason that's really why it's illegal for service members to use right. at a state-by-state basis though we see this loosening up and as you had mentioned there's a bunch of states that are actually allowing cbd but mm-hmm. but largely uh it's it's this this whole progression of kind of loosening of roles i want to just go through that for a moment uh, sure. the marijuana tax act of 1937 that's really the act that made cannabis illegal. And what's important, because as you said, both marijuana and CBD come from cannabis. Uh, this law made both of those derivatives part of the one plant. So it didn't really differentiate between things that make you high and things don't. It just made it one plant. Mm-hmm. Then in 1970, there was the Controlled Substance Act. And essentially, this is what classified CBD as that Schedule One substance. And and what I find interesting about this, because the Drug Enforcement Agency and the and the FDA are the ones that that do these classifications. Schedule five substances are substances that really have a lot of medicinal use and have very little uh, threat of harm, so they're not considered addictive. And then when you go down, it's progressive. Schedule one drugs are those that have zero medicinal application and can be quite addictive and harmful. Mm -hmm. surprisingly to me, right, cannabis and um, marijuana, CBD, are Schedule I drugs, so they're grouped in with heroin and LSD. Uh, And and so I think that's sort of the challenge, is that you have these substances that aren't really, doesn't really make sense for where they're positioned. We're Mm -hmm. seeing that now that in the Farm Bill of 2018, this changed how cannabis is treated and it broke out hemp and CBD from marijuana and it allowed for it to be legal on an individual basis and so when we when we talk about the way forward for dod this this farm bill is really what allows allows that to happen because it differentiates it and so in order to be legal um CBD can have no more than 0.3 percent of THC but okay. it also has to be uh, grown in accordance with the farm bill which means that it has to be produced by a licensed producer uh, in, in in line with state and federal regulations
0: so in other words it has to be grown by uh, by someone in a state where it is legal to grow it someone who's gone to the the trouble to the trouble to prove that they are doing it legally um, but at, at what stage like we're assuming that even today like even in, in, here in the state of Pennsylvania where the Army War College happens to be. Um, There is, uh, CBD is available. Uh, CBD products are available. Um, How am I supposed to know whether the CBD product I'm consuming was uh, produced by someone operating uh, in accordance with state and federal law?
1: So that's one of the challenges I don't think largely you you do know. And I would say Mm -hmm. largely service members don't know. And Unfortunately, the types of Documents that are coming out from the Department of Defense and even the FDA aren't really helpful in helping navigate those those waters, right? They're more more of hey, here's a blanket ban, but they're not actually providing the information on here. Here are the the approved FDA regulated products uh, that you could use. And I think it's largely because they just there's this blanket ban, but the FDA itself has written letters, warning letters. Orders for a bunch of companies that essentially cite them for misuse, producing products that have either too much THC or just releasing products out into the market that uh, they have not approved.
0: Right. Well, and here we get into uh, a a big problem with legalization in general is that if you're going to do legalization right, then there has to be a degree of. Uh, engagement, say, between the authorities and the producers, right? Somebody has to be testing these products in the same way that we test, I don't know, aerosol cans to make sure they don't have CFCs. And yet, uh, to do that then requires the authorities, you know that by participating in that discussion, the authorities are then treating something as though it's a legitimate product. But if the, if the reflex action on the part of certain authorities is to consider that the product itself is illegitimate, then it's easier for them to just stay out of the whole thing and just say, you can't use any of this and no, we're not going to help you uh, we're not going to help you identify the things that are illegal and illegal. We're just going to say it's all illegal because that's simpler.
1: Right, and I I mean, I think that's one argument. Uh, I guess the the approach that I took is that in taking that approach, it Mm The Department of Defense might actually be hurting the force it seeks to present because pain management, anxiety, relief, inflammation are real problems writ large, but especially in the military where we use our service members pretty hard and we ask a lot of them. And so taking this approach, uh, even looking at just some of the reasons that are cited, it it still doesn't necessarily make, make sense because from an efficacy perspective, you know, does it work? And from a legal perspective, those are things that both the DOD and, and partnering with the DEA and FDA could actually do something about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of the readiness and uh, safety concerns, I mean, really, you, you cannot use a force that you don't actually have. Uh, the, the Department of Defense faces a huge issue with pain management, uh, with either, you know, prescription use of things like opioids or be it with alcohol use, right? So there's a 2015 survey that came out with the department of defense uh, and and it showed that you know overwhelmingly service members are seeking these types of legal means to to treat pain at the same time you had the department of defense searching for alternative alternative tools in this fight but they're not they're not considering cbd and and Mm -hmm. what i found interesting was the dod has come out and said that they are open for items such as steroids like they would consider (laughs) steroid use in the treatment of pain and and, it, and and that has been demonstrated to have real harm. So right. CBD as a substance is not harmless. Everything has its risk. But what I would submit is that CBD should be considered more of a tool. And if it mm-hmm. really is a challenge in considering whether it has efficacy beyond sort of the FDA-approved items, then, then I would argue that DOD has a responsibility to its service members to test that out.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and the idea that you know, we... Uh, I was thinking of products like opioids I and mean, we can steroids are a whole whole nother complicated issue but the, the, with opioids right initially the idea was the reason why they were supposed to be so good is because they were not addictive and of course we've discovered after uh, after many years and many tragedies that turns out they were actually quite addictive what is the sense of CBD as an addictive sub, uh, substance do we have any studies on on that
1: there are studies I don't know that the FDA has studies so the FDA uh-huh. in relation to CBD will say, they actually call it uh, collect better data. So they're really seeking additional, additional testing on the item. I would say private sector and commercial research indicates that it may be addictive, uh, just mm-hmm. like any, any substance may be. But in terms of a scale and a threat, it's a very low probability in comparison to some other types of drugs, such as right. opioids. And in right. fact, CBD in conjunction with marijuana has been proven to help lessen addiction of other drugs. Of other drugs to include opioids, so actually they're using CBD to to help people who are addicted to opioids.
0: Now that's an interesting paradox. Um, so has there have there been ongoing discussions within the DoD about changing this policy uh, about monitoring, sort of as as the legal environment changes, or is the is the DoD content to wait until there is some kind of sea change in the in the regulatory environment? independent of the DOD before the DOD would make a move on uh, CBD availability to the force.
1: So I think that's an interesting question. So So earlier I I spoke about the official policies, but quite frankly, the Department of Defense and all the services continually issue addendums, directives, guidance, memos, public orders, statements, all sort of seeking to clarify and reinforce, I would say at times modify the official stance. Mm -hmm. And most recently, the Department of Defense issued a memorandum, this is in February, where essentially they're looking to fill in some of the gaps and they retask the military services with banning CBD use apart from those in textiles and pharmaceuticals. And they also made any use of CBD an intentional offense, uh, oh. prosecutable under the UCMJ. So I think I think the Department of Defense is going in almost the opposite direction that we're seeing society go in, where hmm. society, we see a loosening of, um, you know, political, legal, economic kind of regulations on this. And the Department of Defense is sort of going the opposite route. But what is interesting about this approach, again, because it's not one holistic policy; they're allowing and pushing down enforcement to the services. That memo has very little teeth until the services actually change their policy.
0: Hmm. Well, and uh, what what kind of discussions are going on within the services that you're aware of?
1: I'm I'm not really sure,
0: to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, because this, I think, is the interesting question: is is you know, who's in charge here? Uh, and it, it seems that the the DoD's approach uh, is built around the idea that. Uh, this is complicated. It's better just to say no. And uh, even if that means encouraging people to use other things like opioids or steroids, rather than dig into the complexities of this problem. Um, Would this fall under, does this fall under manpower and readiness? Uh, Which, I guess, which which part of the DOD deals with these kinds of questions?
1: There's a, there's a, section within the Department of Defense or office of secretary of defense health policy I believe okay. it deals with this but in terms of the service level discussions what I do find interesting is not only am I working at, on this topic at the Army War College but the Naval War College had a group that got together and looked at the efficacy and Department of Defense policy on what it should be towards marijuana
0: mm-hmm. so I
1: think at an individual level at a research level and at a service level, there are groups that are considering how to be proactive and coming up with recommendations. I will also say that the Department of Defense has groups looking at pain management, but again, they're not really considering CBD. So I think it's just a matter of trying to connect the conversations.
0: Right. I mean, and does it seem, you know, from sitting here, uh, it sounds as though the DOD is waiting for there to be a, uh, a, a massive change in government policy, right? If the federal government were to create specific guidelines for CBD um, and specific legal legalized uses for CBD, that that would make it easier for the DOD. But what, what would happen if the federal government continues to allow the states to regulate uh, these kinds of uses um, and would leave it up to the luck of the draw whether a member of the service was stationed in a state that happened to have wider access to CBD than others,
1: right? So I do agree. I think the Department of Defense is sort of putting their hands up and allowing the services themselves to come with their own policy, and and just really waiting for the larger United States government to to change its its official federal policy on CBD. And I would I would join them with marijuana on that. Mm-hmm. In terms of an individual basis, uh, allowing the states to legalize it while it still remains illegal for at the federal level really places our service members in harm's way. Because it's very difficult, as we talked about, to to know which products even have CBD in it. So increasingly, since 2018 in the Farm Bill, this this additive CBD has been put in more and more products. And so even if you were trying to stay away from it, I think it might be very difficult, especially if you're in states that have a very liberal approach uh, versus states that don't. But as this comes through, to kind of sit and wait is a way to go, but I think you're really – Doing a disservice to the service members because you're making them not only pull the policy and wade through all the information that's been provided by the Department of Defense, but you're also asking them to do research uh, and, and really think about every product that they use because this thing is not only from beer and candy, all the way to things that are a little less obvious like shampoo and hand lotions.
0: Right. And, and cause that would be the problem, right? If I, uh, if I'm, if I'm living in a state where this stuff is a little more available and I use a hand lotion or a shampoo or, or even drink a beer and, uh, I guess, and I fail a drug test because of the presence of, because I use CBD and I pop my drug test, um, I guess I would, uh, as a service, a service member would be then in a position where the, he or she would have to produce the product that they used and say, no, 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 this is what I used. But how is the, how under current policy is the service or the DoD more broadly, how is it supposed to know how to weigh a a service member's claim that I used this harmless product? that gave me that positive drug test.
1: I think we're finding, there's been some court cases and legal challenges that attack that that very issue. And I mm-hmm. don't know how successful the services have been in sort of making that argument because in one breath government witnesses will testify that it's impossible to pop a drug test from a legal product. And mm-hmm. another and another breath, uh, there will be someone that will come in and say, right, but a lot of products have illegal, illegal amounts of it. And so it's this push and pull. And right. I think the reason why we saw that addendum from the Office of the Secretary of Defense come out and say, hey, all use is intentional use, is to try to fill in that gap. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think the services know how to manage this terrain especially when you talk about in the court of law because if it's illegal at of state or if you can say if your policy like the air force and the navy marine corps policies allow for sort of a knowingly intentional type kind of excuse mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you can make that legal case to excuse someone and again that's some of the yeah. the challenges the services are facing in courts
0: I see. Well, and, and then, which leads to the, the obvious question, right, now that you've completed this research project and you're waiting your evaluation on it and you know about research that, that's being done at other institutions as well, what's your sense of the way forward? What, if, is there a better way? Um, is there Are there any inklings of what that better way might be? Or do we just, the conversation will continue?
1: So I think the conversation should continue. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think as well, there's a better, there's a better way. Uh, my recommendation after looking at this is for DOD to partner with the FDA on validating mm-hmm. commercial efficacy games, right? So mm-hmm. if the whole, really, if the one reason is that, hey, we don't know that it works, Uh, Set aside the fact that the FDA has approved drugs that use CBD uh, for the treatment of of seizures, right? So there is Mm -hmm. some medical benefit, but kind of placing that aside and focusing on just the Department of Defense issues, you know, the DOD has a precedence for using its service members for for drug tests, for vaccines, uh, for things that they think may be of benefit to the warfighter. Now, a lot of this was done in the 50s and 60s and 70s, but but quite frankly, under that vein, uh, I don't see why or don't see that it would be too wild to also include CBD when we're looking at the potential value for the warfighter. Uh, And I think then in addition to partnering with FDA, of course the Department of Defense would have to include DEA on revising Mm -hmm. the schedule classifications. They could do this with or without congressional support. So it's really in, in the hands of the DEA, but this is something that from a total government approach, the Department of Defense could advocate for. And in doing so, right, they can actually then say with certainty, uh whether C B D works. And if it works, they found a warfighter tool that is non evasive and very likely less addictive than things that have been already prescribed. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, then uh, the recommendation is to to really iterate that in a singular policy that trickles all the way down but really has some meat to it and provides information to the service members through marketing campaigns, through through partnering with the FDA and, and good and bad actors that have C B D to actually inform and help our service members make more informed decisions.
0: All right. And of course, we can't get the answers to the questions unless we ask them. And so thank you, Tina, for your research uh, and for uh, for explaining the kinds of questions that we should ask in the future. Um, unfortunately, this conversation has to come to an end. But uh, thanks to Tina Cancel for joining us today on A Better piece. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. And thanks to all of you out there for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu, and have a great day.